Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. And so, uh, good morning, Central. Good to see all of you. And uh, you can turn your Bible at this point to John chapter 9, because that's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time this morning with a little bit of singing at the end of the service as well. Uh, this past week, we, uh, we said uh, goodbye and um, acknowledged uh, and celebrated the life of uh, a person among us who had been uh, a family member at Central for 71 years, and that's our brother Pete Esau. And so on um, Friday morning, I uh, swung by the church, and I wanted to greet the family and, and be with them for a little bit uh, during the viewing time at 9.30 in the morning. And as I went over to, to see this, uh, this godly saint among us who passed into glory, as we sung about this morning, right, I was just um, overwhelmed again with the sense of responsibility that I carry in preaching the Word of God. And I wonder how many times our brother Pete and others like him, um, uh, how many sermons they listened to over their years and were encouraged by them, by the Word of God. And I, my eyes were drawn to a pin that was on his lapel, and uh, his, uh, his family told me that uh, that pin was given to him, and he had worn it in the same spot for eight years. It never left it never left that lapel, and it was John 3.16. And I thought, how fitting that we should be going back into the Gospel of John to preach right through till summertime virtually, um, and a man who valued the Word of God and was just held fast to the love that God had for him in bringing him his salvation. And so today we're back in the Gospel of John. This is a wonderful book because John paints for us time and time again such a clear picture of who Jesus is. In particular, John wants the reader, he wants me, he wants you to unmistakably and undeniably know that Jesus Christ is not just someone who was sent from God as a great prophet or a great teacher or an upstanding moral person or anything like that, but that Jesus Christ is very God who came from heaven in human flesh to dwell among the humanity that he created in order to not only tell us, but to show us how to have eternal life, which is found in him. Time and time again, we have seen this so clearly in this gospel, and today is no different. And so we resume in John chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12 together and spend a little bit of time unpacking that. So follow along. John 9, verses 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit in the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, 
wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Someone said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to them, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Let's take a moment to pray and just reflect on what we've heard. Father, I want to thank you for your very words to us. This is your book. These are your words. And so today we want to learn from you. Would you speak to us powerfully uh, through this word, through your Holy Spirit as it is applied to our hearts, our minds, our lives? And so, God, I just want to ask you and we trust you to do the work that you need to do today in each one of our hearts, my own included, Lord, whether it's a, a fresh reminder of a truth, an encouragement, um, a point of conviction. Lord, whatever it is, would you speak to us? We want to hear from you. And help us to understand, Lord, what is going on here. And just guide us by your Holy Spirit and protect and deliver us from the evil one, Lord, right now as we dig in uh, to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the temptation um, with a passage like this, or with this passage in particular, is to focus on the physical healing of the blind man and draw conclusions about what it means for physical healing today. But I do not believe that that's the point of this text. Now, this is a real account. Uh, uh, yes, God can heal. He does heal. He did it here. It was a physical healing. He continues to do so today. I am not a cessationist who believes that the spiritual gift of healing that is talked about in Scripture expired after the apostolic era. I don't believe that. In fact, one of the most powerful times I had in my life happened, I think it'll be 10 years ago this summer, when I made a trip with MB Mission to Peru, where we had a Latin America uh, retreat and consultation, uh, right on the border of Peru and Ecuador, on the Pacific. And it was a beautiful time of all of the missionaries from Central and South America who gathered together, and each day we heard two testimonies in the morning and two testimonies in the evening from the missionaries themselves about the work that God was doing through them and among them in their areas where they had been called. And we heard what we would consider almost unbelievable, hair-raising accounts of people being healed, of people being raised from the dead. This happens, friends, today. I don't know why it doesn't happen more in North America in this miraculous way, but maybe it does and our eyes are just blind to it. But the temptation for us is to look strictly at the physical healing. And even though this is a real account of Jesus healing a real man who was blind from birth, it is not so much about the physical healing of one person as it is about the spiritual healing of any person. And while you say, well, that's just spiritualizing it. But that actually is the point. 
as we will see as we go through this text. Yes, an actual healing took place, but for what purpose? Today's text points to the works of God that he alone is able to accomplish in any person who is living in darkness, spiritually blind. You see, this healing that happened here in John chapter 9 is completely different than other healings that we see in Scripture. Now, I want to set a bit of a foundation here. And when I heard this uh, the first time, it was actually a bit shocking to me. But, so just stay with me. Jesus doesn't actually respond to need. He meets our needs, for sure. But that's not what he responds to. You see, if Jesus did, there would be no needs among us. There would be no blind, crippled, poor, naked, hungry, or imprisoned people in the world if Jesus responded to every need. And yet, Scripture says that's precisely why he came, was to give sight to the blind, to meet the needs of the poor, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to set the captives free. There are two things that I see from Scripture that Jesus responds to. Jesus responds, number one, strictly to the will of his Father. You read through any of the Gospels, Jesus, time and time again, particularly in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, chapter 8, chapter 12, Jesus said, I only do what my Father tells me to do. Period. I will only say what my Father tells me to say. So he responds to the will of the Father who sent him. The second thing that Jesus responds to is not our need, but our faith. And in that, he meets our need. He responds to our faith in accordance to the will of the Father, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now, back up to this healing. This healing is not as a result of faith. This blind man did nothing. He was sitting there, and Jesus was passing by, and he did not cry out to Jesus. He couldn't see him, but he didn't even know that Jesus was passing by. Others hadn't told him. He had never heard of Jesus. It wasn't like others who said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Give me my sight. I want to see. He, he didn't even know that Jesus was there. And had he known, he wouldn't have known anything about him. So this healing then must have been done as a direct result of Jesus' obedience to the will of the Father, what Jesus wanted him to do. The will of the Father to glorify himself through Jesus and to do the work for which he sent Jesus, which indeed this healing was all about. So to help us see this a little more clearly, let's back up even further to John chapter 6 and verse 66. Um, I believe that uh, context is so important to understanding Scripture, and so I want to back up just a little bit here today to help us understand what's going on. Now, the first little bit of Jesus' ministry was going really well. I mean, in fact, he marked his ministry in the Gospel of John with turning the water into wine at a wedding. Now, I mean, who doesn't like that? And so, uh, yeah, he was doing some pretty cool things. Jesus knew how to engage with people and celebrate and have a good party. And he was going about and he was healing people. He was teaching things people had never heard before. Crowds were attracted to him. And then, John 6.66, he started saying some tough things about being a disciple. 
about following him. And it says in John 6, 66, that people began to go away. But others were interested and they continued to follow him. And it says that the people were divided, chapter 7, verse 43. They were divided over Jesus. So whether positive or negative publicity, Jesus was noticed. And from that point, John 6, 66, the Pharisees, who were the leaders among the Jews, the teachers, they were desperately trying to do all they could to get rid of him. Because they were threatened. They were losing their authority, or should I say their control, over the people. And now everyone was talking about Jesus, and they had less influence than they used to have. And so in John chapter 7, verse 1, and verse 25, and chapter 8, verse 40, and verse 59, the verse just prior to our text, it literally says that they were trying to kill him. And so Jesus kept a low profile. He uh, went about quite often privately, and even when he did appear in public or in the temple area, he really flew under the radar. Verse, chapter 7, verse 13, it says that for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke about Jesus for fear of being arrested, persecuted. And when Jesus appeared in public, they tried to demonize him. They tried to literally demonize him. They tried to arrest him. They tried to discredit him. They, tried, they tested him to see if they could bring charges against him. They tried to delegitimize him. Uh, by saying, you are illegitimate, you were born of sexual immorality. Abraham isn't your father, certainly not God. We don't even know who your father is. Your mother is just a young, knocked up, teenager floozy, and we don't know where you came from. They even call him a Samaritan. They convicted him of sin. The Jews, the Pharisees, as a result of pride and arrogance, they lived in such utter disbelief and darkness and blindness to the scriptures and ultimately to who Jesus was to the point that they had a murderous hatred of him. And Jesus, on many occasions, even in the Gospel of John, he called them blind guides. And it is exactly the same word that is used of this physically blind man. Same word used to describe those who in their pride and arrogance utterly refused to believe who Jesus was and who he claimed he was. And so in this context, let's go back to chapter 9, verse 1. Let's actually start in 859. So they picked up, because Jesus, Jesus had just declared who he was openly. He said, before Abraham was, you think Abraham is your father? Before Abraham was, I am. I'm God. I am your father. Whew. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of, the out of the temple. And as he passed by, and as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Teachable moment. For his disciples, for the Jews, for, his, for us, 
And his disciples asked him, so Jesus pointed this man out, obviously, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I want to take you to Exodus 4 for a moment to try to link a few things together. Exodus 4, 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Moses had his own disability, so he claimed he couldn't speak. At least not eloquently. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing? Or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Therefore go, and I will be with you and your mouth, and will teach you what you shall speak. Now, I don't know about you, but it is hard, it is really hard for my small mind to grasp what I think is actually going on here. That what we in our world and our culture would deem suffering and call a disability was something that God actually intended and purposed in this man's life for this precise moment so that the sovereign works of God might be displayed in him. Whew, that's heavy. Not for him, but in him. Scripture says so that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's a difference. Yes, it was also for him. It just so happened that he personally benefited in a huge way from the works of God that were displayed in this healing. So in a sense, it was for him, but ultimately it wasn't about him. The healing was done in him to point to something greater. And that is the works of God intended for all. Even those as evil and hell-bent on destruction as the Pharisees. Even for me even for you. So the real question this morning is, what are those works? That's the point today. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. What are those works? I'm glad you asked, because that's what we need to focus on. I'm going to talk about five works of God that I see from this passage today that is intended for us all. Number one, the work of God is a work of glory. The work of God is a work of glory. That's the first work of God. As we'll see next week, um, the buzz after this healing was all centered on Jesus. It created quite a stir. And that was precisely the point. <laughs> so in John chapter 5, or John chapter 9, verse 5, verse 5 of our text, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now remember, Scripture teaches us that God is light. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. And so when he came, he was the light of the world as long as he was in the world. But he still is light because he's God. 
And so John chapter 9, verse 5, builds on something that Jesus said back in chapter 8, verse 12. So let's go there for a moment to chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And I wish I had time to read all of chapter 8, but I'm going to skip a little bit. Let's go down to verse 19. Then they said to, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, but if you knew me, you would know my father also. Remember, Jesus is trying to reveal who he is here. Verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, that I am the light of the world, that I am God, that I came from the Father, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Now let's go down to verse 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom I say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. This healing builds on the glorification of Jesus as the light of the world. God is light, and in him there is no darkness if God is present. God always sought to glorify Jesus, and Jesus sought to glorify God. They are, after all, the same, the great I am, very God, the one to whom all glory belongs, because he is the lamb who is slain for our sins. We sang about it this morning. And he is the one for whose glory we were created and we exist and we have our being. So the first work of God is a work of glory. And we see that very clearly in this healing. Secondly, the work of God is a work of grace. The work of God is a work of grace. And this is for each one of us. John intentionally notes that this man was blind from birth. God ordained this so that the man who was healed was a, was a man who would be blind from birth. Listen. The condition that is common to us all is a spiritual darkness as a result of sin that we are born into. We are born into it. I want to take you to Psalm chapter 51 where King David, who was so overwhelmed by the guilt of his sin after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, listen, 
I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are born blind. All of us. And in Scripture, sin is synonymous with darkness. And darkness is synonymous with blindness. I want to take you to another passage very quickly in Corinthians, or sorry, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, one of my favorite epistles of Paul. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What's our greatest problem? What's Vancouver's greatest problem? The Lower Mainland's greatest problem? Newsflash, it's not icy streets. I don't know about you, but I am tired of the news. Is there anything else to report other than chaotic free salt handouts in Vancouver? At every fire hall? Where people are pushing and shoving and trampling each other to get salt? Like it's going to save their life? Or stolen sand from the beaches? You know, our greatest problem isn't even the fentanyl crisis. Our greatest problem in the world isn't ISIS. Our greatest problem is the ugly darkness that lurks in every human heart due to the nature that we have all inherited from Adam. A nature that has been passed down through birth to every member of the human race since Adam, and it's called sin. Darkness, blindness. A kingdom that holds us in bondage. And into this condition, blind from birth, Jesus displays a miraculous, undeserving, merciful act of one who didn't even ask for it, of healing to show that anyone can be healed from his or her dark condition and be given sight. Because when we're blind, we need grace. We need amazing grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. That's what we need. This summer, I was extended mercy and grace. After the incident, I was shaking so bad, I could hardly call my wife. I was so shooken up. And I believe that God spared me from death in an accident. I had been visiting uh, a friend, actually someone who attends our Agassiz campus, and he was working drywalling, and I went to visit him. And uh, from there, I crossed over McCallum Road, 
I think it is. Is that where Cabela's is? Yeah. Yeah, McCallum, right? So I'm going from west to east, and I crossed over McCallum to go to Cabela's. Maybe that was my mistake. I should have never gone there. <laughs> Nonetheless, I was in my car. Thank goodness I wasn't on my motorcycle, because then I tend to get a faster start. But the light turned green, and I went. And from my blind side, a car, well exceeding the speed limit, blew through a full red light whew, right in front of me. You know, driver's side, door side. Had I been on the gas a second earlier, I don't think I'd be here. I was blinded to what was coming. And as I looked up and I slammed my brakes as hard as I've ever hit my brakes, and I just came to a stop and the car whizzed through and two young teenagers in the car both looking down. The driver looked up and a horrified look on his face as he just blew right by me through a red light. I don't know what they were doing. Looking at the phone, turning on the stereo. I don't know what it was. It was an act of grace. I was blind to what was coming and God saved me. And this is all of our conditions. We're blind. And except for a merciful act of God, an act of grace, we're doomed for destruction. Number three, the work of God is a work of power. This healing was a work that man did not accomplish, could not accomplish. It was an impossible work. And we just came through Christmas and in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, when the angel showed up to Mary and he told her that she was going to conceive and have a child, and she said, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And, and he said, well, the Holy Spirit will accomplish this in your life. And Mary just was bewildered. And the angel of God said to her, Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. The God we serve is a God who can impregnate a teenage virgin. The God we serve is a God who can open the eyes of a man born blind from birth. And Jesus, when he talked about salvation to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And if there's one thing I can leave with you as we enter a new year, we're only in January 8th, 8th, and this is my happy new year to you. With God, all things are possible. They are. Listen, if it's a work, any work, that is something that I or you can do by myself, by ourselves, it is not a work of God. In the church, if God is not needed, then it's not worth doing. If we're, not, if we're doing things that we can do in our own power, they will surely fail, and they should fail. If something seems impossible or is impossible, that's what we need to set our sights on. Because then we've learned to depend on God. Number four, the work of God is a work of revelation. This miracle was intended to make Jesus known for who he really is. I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 1 this time. We were in Colossians before, but let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. For this reason, 
Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that you may, uh, and of revelation in the knowledge of him. See, Jesus wanted the Pharisees, he wanted his disciples, he wants us to know him. And so he prays, Paul prays that God would give us the spirit of wisdom of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now listen to this. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, opened from darkness and spiritual blindness to enlightenment. The eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what the riches of his glorious, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. This, this miracle was intended to open the eyes of our heart, to remove the blinders, to take away the darkness, to the immeasurable greatness and power of who Jesus Christ is. It's a work of revelation. So it was intended to make Jesus known, but it's also another work of revelation. And this miracle is intended to reveal who we really are. Who we are. It takes a certain kind of light to reveal what's really going on. Have you ever seen those videos in YouTube or seen stuff online about people that go into hotel rooms with like a black light? Have you ever seen that? Well, don't watch because you'll never stay in a hotel again. <laughs> but it is that kind of light which reveals what is exactly going on in that room. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but then they take another kind of light a UV light, and they go and they cleanse and they sterilize those areas that are un unnoticeable to the human eye. So they're doing something good about it. I want to talk to you a little bit about my mom. Uh, we moved to British Columbia in the year 2000, so I've been around almost 17 years now in this province. We love it. But it was really hard to say goodbye. I moved when I was 30, I'll be 47 tomorrow. And, uh, and just a few months before I left, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, they found it because her, her bowels were so blocked. She was in excruciating pain and had to go in for emergency surgery where they removed a whole section of her intestine. And that's when she found out that her body was full of cancer. And we had already committed to moving to British Columbia. Now, I don't know, like a, a boy's heart to his mom's heart is one of these inseparable ties, right? There's something about mom. And we have to say goodbye and move three provinces over, two provinces over when she's in the midst of surgeries and chemo and lost her hair. I don't know how many times. She's alive, by the way. 
God did a miracle of healing in her, not without a lot of consequence and negative side effects. My mom, to this day, she has to be very careful even going out in public because any hint of sickness since she's back on the antibiotics, she has no immunity left. None. It's been so destroyed by all the treatments she's had over the years. She is an amazing woman of strength. And you know, you know what it was about her? My mom's attitude from the beginning was, I will accept what God has given me. What God has given me. If it means it's for his glory. And that's someone, even one, and she was praying specifically for us kids and those in the family that don't walk with Jesus, if just one comes to faith in Jesus Christ and has the same faith in him that I do. That was her prayer. And so in a way that was totally unknown to her, um, her care group, her life group at the church rallied around her after she had surgery and was into her chemo, and they held a special meeting at her place, and their purpose was to pray for her healing. So they anointed her with oil, and they prayed over her, and one of the members of the life group had the foresight, the conviction, the calling of God to invite a person who did not know Jesus to the meeting. And this man stood behind the group as they circled around her and laid hands on her and anointed her and prayed for her and wept over her. And he sat back with such awe and amazement and said, if this is how these Christians love each other, it, it wasn't about the prayers for healing. If this is how they love one another and treat one another, I'm in. And he gave his life to Christ. And my mom believes that that was one of the purposes for her cancer. And she went through hell for years and has had to depend on the Lord over and over and over again. And her healing came, I believe, from, from a combination of God and the good sense and the training that he's given our doctors to care for people who have these kinds of conditions. But along the way, um, the pastor from the church, one of the pastors went to visit my mom in the hospital. This was after another surgery that she had where she had two different kinds of pneumonia, in each, one in each lung. And her one lung collapsed and they had to put her into surgery again, emergency. They had to re remove things. And, they, and, and I, that year I flew in from... Uh, from over here because we thought she was going to die. And she rallied again. And, but a pastor went and visited her after that. And good on him for having the guts to go into my mom's room and say, to quote the, the, from the book of James, confess your sins to one another that you might live together whole and healed. And he said, I wouldn't be doing my job I got to remember, this is my mom. She's like Mother Teresa. But she's my mother, so she's like more than Mother Teresa, right? And I'm like, this is the pastor going in there. He's like, Ruby, like, do you have any sin to confess? And my mom said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. There's been something bothering me a long time. And it had to do with some bitterness and unforgiveness toward another person. And it just, God just brought it to her mind. And the pastor says, well, 
Thank you for confessing that. Let's pray for your healing. And so the work of God is a work of revelation, which leads, number five, to a work of transformation. This man, verse, verse five, sorry, verse, yeah, verses five through eight. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And he went and washed and came back seeing. Now get this, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Someone said, it's he. Others said, no, but it's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. <laughs> this man was so transformed, he was unrecognizable. Is this really the same guy? And listen, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. You're a completely different person when the healing transformation power of Jesus Christ gives you your sight. And this man, in four ways in particular, number one, his transformation, he went from being dirty to being clean. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was so symbolic, even ironic, that Jesus, I mean, like, he spit on the ground. Like he horked up a big one and spit on the ground and he made, he made mud and he put this dirty mess in the man's eyes and he told him to go and wash. Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, his grace, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Our transformation takes us from a dirty mess to someone who is clean and able to see. His transformation, obviously, from being blind to seeing is a transformation that happens when light comes into our eyes. I want to take you to Luke for a moment. Luke chapter 11. This is good stuff. Luke 11, 34 to 36. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And so when light comes into our blindness, we're transformed. People say the eyes are the window to the soul. You look in a person's eyes and you can tell a lot about what's going in there, on and in there, in their soul, whether it's dark or it's light. He went from being a proud man to a humble man. Can you imagine a person, if he wasn't already humbled, but sometimes humility can, pride can be masked as humility. Somebody who went from, like how humiliating to have someone spit on the ground and rub it in your eyes. You know what the word blind actually means? It's the word tough loss in the original language. It means blind. And it means blind in two ways. Same word, both uses. Physically, physical blindness and mental a darkening of the mind or spiritual blindness. Same word that's used in Scripture. It comes from root words. Tufel, tough loss from tufel, which means um, smoke. Um, so when you're in a house that's on fire, like you can't see your way through it because of the smoke. You can't. You're going in blind. It's a firefighter. That comes from the word tufumai, 
which is to be clouded in your mind. It literally means pride, high-minded, puffed up with pride, to be rendered insolent, haughtiness, conceit, foolish or stupid. That's what it means to be blind. This man, the transformation that occurs in our lives when Jesus Christ gives us light is one from pride to humility. Listen, the number one thing that keeps people from right relationships with God and others is pride. And it's what Jesus addressed head on in his letters to the churches in Revelation. For you say that I'm rich. I'm, I, I, don't have, I, I have prospered. I need nothing. That's what Jesus said that the church was saying. They were arrogant. They were proud. Jesus said, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And he said, come to me. He invited, Jesus had invited them to come to him to buy gold refined that you might be rich, that you would receive white garments, that you would cover your nakedness, that you would receive salve to anoint your eyes, a salve of mud mixed with the saliva of Jesus Christ to anoint your eyes, that you might see. Revelation 3. And finally, the transformation meant he went from sedentary to sent. Sedentary descent, the pool of Siloam, he was sent, go. And even as God sent Jesus, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, so as he is sending us, because he has now declared that you, that I am the light of the world. To make a difference of transformation where we've been called. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10 says, It's for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is a gift of God. It's not by works so that anyone should boast. And then it says that you were created for works. You're not saved by works, but you're created for works. And so now we are called to do the same works that Jesus was sent for by the Father. And he is now sent.